0: Well, thank you, Kristen, and we are glad that God brought you and Dave to our church family, and we love you guys. Appreciate the message of that. It's a great question to linger in our hearts. Do we trust God? Is he trustworthy? So we're in a series of Talks for these weeks taken from the book of Philippians. I hope you have a Bible and you can look in the fourth chapter with me in just a moment. And it's all along the idea of how God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He is pouring out blessing. The question before us today is, are you being blessed? Are you receiving his blessings? Is it making a difference in the way your day-to-day experience is taking place i have for a long time respected the person and the ministry of lloyd ogilvy for uh... over twenty years he was the senior minister at hollywood presbyterian church and uh... he left there and became uh... chaplain to the united states senate And if you don't know a lot about what uh... the senate chaplain does uh... he ministers and councils and advises and walks with senators and their families and their staff and so on uh, through all of the challenges that are part of life in Washington DC it becomes a job uh, related to about 6,000 different people when you take into consideration the senators, their families, their staff, etc. Ogilvy had a habit of taking a summer study leave Uh, both when he was a pastor and later in the Senate. Um, And there he would pray and journal and reconnect his own soul with the Lord and kind of plan out a a coming year's worth of uh, preaching. And uh, he is Scottish in background, and so he loves going to Scotland. And on one occasion, one summer, he went there for his study break, had this wonderful little cottage uh, near the coast, And he had a habit of uh, at least once a day going out for a rather lengthy walk uh, to kind of break up the monotony of all the study that he was trying to do. And one day he felt like he had just studied too long and he had to get that walk in. so he, without telling anybody he was going out for a walk or where he was going, he took off. You already know it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So he takes off down the coastline and then he walks up this narrow little rocky uh, pass and he hits a plateau and he climbs over this little stone fence and he begins to walk across a cow pasture and then he hits this other kind of uh, rocky uh, terrain narrow path that goes up to another ridge and uh, he's having a great time and he's enjoying the Lord and he's enjoying his health and his vitality to be able to do these things. And uh, rain begins to set in, first of all, with a little bit of a mist, and then it began to get a little bit heavier than that. And on one occasion, he began to leap from one rock to another, and he slipped. And when he did so, his right leg went down into this uh, crevice between these two large boulders. And the momentum of his body flopped him over that boulder and the contortion snapped and broke his leg in several places. You can imagine how painful, uh, how excruciating. And he's yelling and he's crying out and he's in agony, laying there all twisted and contorted. And he said, at that point... My mind and my heart, my thoughts and my feelings decided they wanted to quit. Here he is. Nobody knows where he is. He's at least two miles, two miles. He's at least two hours, several miles from where any people are. Nobody would have a clue where he is or how to get to him. The rain is setting in. The sun is is going down and dusk is coming in. And uh, frankly, when shock uh, would set upon him, uh, he could lie there and die from exposure and from uh, all the pain. And he said, my thoughts and my feelings just began to want to shut down and just have this large pity party and just feel sad and sorrowful for myself and just, just end it. And he said, but then I began to have thoughts pop into my head and feelings pop into my heart about my wife, about my children, about my grandchildren, about these members of the Senate that I had become very close to and their families. And his thinking and his feeling began to turn so that he wanted to get out of this predicament he wanted to live and so through a lot of painful maneuvering he finally got his back against one boulder and his left leg against another and he began to push and press until he could get his leg freed he could not stand he could not walk and so on his bottom he would take his hands and scoot and push himself a little bit with his good left leg and he did that for hours, down that rocky terrain, back into that cow pasture, through all the cow patties and stuff that you find in a pasture. Then he had to pull himself over this stone wall, and when he flopped to the other side, he almost blacked out from the pain that that brought. And then he continued to just scoot his way down another rocky uh, cliff kind of area until he got down to the coast. And it's late into the night. It's raining hard. It's cold. And miraculously, somebody is out walking the beach and they see him. Long story short, they get him back to his cottage. He has to go to the hospital. They do surgery. He goes through months of rehabilitation, etc. But here's the point. Our thinking and our feeling are very, very powerful in us. And if we don't guard our thoughts, if we don't guard our feelings, we will succumb to uh, moments of acquiescence, to quitting, to compromise. We must find a way to guard our thinking and our feelings, and that is the blessing that God wants to give you today and every day. He wants to bless you with a peace, call it serenity if you will, that is so powerful, so beyond our comprehension, that it it literally has the power to guard the way we think and the way that we feel. Now, this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to invite you to look at the verse with us that is our key central verse, verse 7. Paul said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, do you ever have a problem with the lack of peace? Do you ever have those seasons that are absent of serenity? they become worrisome, fretful, anxious, fearsome. Do you ever have those seasons? Uh, most of the people that I know do. All of the people described in the scriptures did. And as a matter of fact, in Psalm 23, there's a wonderful depiction of a person that's a whole lot like you and a whole lot like me. And he is a God follower. He loves the Lord. He seeks to honor the Lord in the way that he conducts every day of his life. But he is greatly troubled because as he looks around him, it appears that he is trying to be obedient to God. He's trying to walk the straight and narrow. And all those that are around him that don't care anything about God, don't care anything about the things of God, that are in fact wicked and perverse and dishonest, etc., they prosper. They do well. They're not worried about anything. You ever notice that? They just keep pressing on and pressing others down as they are able to take care of whatever they want for their lives. He said, God, this is really troublesome to me. This bugs me big time. You know how he says it? He says it around verse 6. It's like walking on slippery terrain to me. And when I read that, it made me think about Lloyd Ogilvie. It's like walking on slippery terrain and I, I'm in danger of falling and breaking my life. The way I get crazy in thinking about these things. In verse 16, that psalmist said, So, I tried to understand, why do the wicked prosper? But what a difficult task it is to understand that, to figure that out. Verse 22 I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. You ever get like that? I mean, in his anguish about the matter, he's just complaining to God. and He's asking these why questions. And what's this all about? And he goes, I know I must have seemed like an idiot to you, Lord. I, I, I just couldn't help it. Then he goes on to say in verse 23, yet. I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. Now what happened from verse 22 to verse 23? The peace of God began to arrest and guard his heart. So he's got all this crazy thinking, all these crazy feelings going on, and all of a sudden the peace of God comes upon him. He goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, here's the truth. The truth is, I belong to you. The truth is, you hold me. Verse 24, here's the truth. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. You've got great plans. I'm going to stick with your plan. Verse 26, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. Do you see how the peace of God works? On our thinking and our feelings. On our mind and on our heart. It's a great example right out of the scriptures about how that whole process takes place. So what are your issues? What are your circumstances? What are you grappling with this week? Where do you get crazy and anxious? God wants to bless you. He wants to pour out a blessing for you called peace. It's not the absence of the problem. It's not the absence of the turmoil. It's not the absence of the wicked prospering. It's not the absence of injustices. But it's His presence in the midst of those storms. It's His sanity and serenity in the midst of our craziness. What is this peace Of God. Jesus had a lot to say about it. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I'm going to be leaving you, but when I leave you, I'm going to leave you with a gift. I'm going to leave you with peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace that I give, it's not a gift that the world can give. You can't get godly, divine peace anywhere else except from the Lord Himself. So I'm giving you something that no one else and nothing else can give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now that doesn't suggest that trouble and fear will never assault you once you're in the peace of God. It assaults you all the time. But as it does, you stand with a guarded heart. That is guarded by God's peace, by God's presence, by the wellness that comes from us being God's child. This is exactly what was going on in young David's life when he faced Goliath. What a scary, frightening giant of a situation, and yet inexplicably, there's this confidence in him, there's this wellness in him, there's this courage in him that comes from the peace of God. Same thing's going on in the life of young Daniel when he stands against the most powerful man on the planet at that time, a king, and he ends up being thrown into a lion's den. Hungry lions that would have torn him to shreds and consumed him except for the fact God had a different plan. And because of that peace that he had, you know, he didn't know what God's plan was. He just knew I'm in God's hand. And if it's God's plan that I'm... Torn to bits and and consumed by lions right now, okay. Or if God wants to deliver me, okay. But in either case, the peace of God guarded his heart, guarded his mind. And he was able to face that with a sense of serenity. Now, when we talk about the peace of God, let me distinguish that from peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been made right, we've been made righteous in God's sight by faith. The righteousness of Jesus was given, imputed to us. And since we have that right standing with God by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So here's the presumption. Friends, you can have the peace of God. He wants to bless you with His peace when you have made peace with God. Now, if you're still on the other team... If you have not surrendered to Christ, who is Lord, and if you're still trying to call the shots, and you're still trying to be your own boss, and you're still trying to be in control, and you're the one, and God's probably something I need to think about at some point, but I'm the one, I, you know, I will make my own life, and etc. Then uh, the peace of God will be a fleeting thing to you because you don't have peace with God. Are you following me? So, step number one, have peace with God. Allow the saving grace of Christ to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, reconcile you with the Holy God, give you a new life. And it's in that new life you get the peace of God. Romans fourteen seventeen says it this way. The kingdom of God, this new life that you get in Jesus, is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of all of the stuff that this world says you've got to have if you're going to be okay. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. But it's a matter of righteousness. That is to say, right standing with God. It's a matter of peace. I'm His son. I'm His daughter. It is well and it is squared up between the two of us. And it is a matter of joy. Where I get to enjoy being his child. And enjoy, not flippant happiness, but have joy over the purposes and plans and destiny that he has for my life. Now, let me just say, I mentioned David, mentioned Daniel just a moment ago. In those circumstances where it was so perilous... They weren't flippantly happy. Oh, look, here's a great challenge from Jesus, you know. They didn't have that kind of weird thing going on. They had this rock-solid, steady faith that said, you know what? I'm in God's hand. If I die, I die. If it goes well, it goes well. Either way, God's up to something, and His purposes are going to be advanced. Friend, when you live in that state, peace consumes your heart, consumes your thoughts. And you're guarded from the assault of the lies and the deceptions that are a part of our world and our culture. Jesus experienced this exact kind of thing that we're talking about. He said He went to the cross. You think He was happy about the cross? No, He was not happy about the cross. You think He had joy about it? Yes, because He knew what God was doing. God was saving all of humanity through His atoning, sacrificial death. So there was joy in the person and purposes of God, though it was not a particularly happy circumstance. So being serene with Christ looks like what? Let's get back to the text and get verse 7 in the full context. So if you're looking at chapter 4 with me, back up to verse 1. Paul said, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Synctity to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm not sure you got it. So I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And... So let's keep uh, your Bible open and keep referencing these verses that we're going to talk about and we'll wrap this thing up. What does it look like when the peace of God that is a result of your peace with God is on your life? When you begin to have the serenity from Christ, what's that look like? Well, he said, first of all, in those first three verses, it looks like you're able to have relational harmony. You're able to reconcile with those with whom you've had differences. Now, we're talking to believers within a believing community, okay? So if you're a son or a daughter of God today, this is exactly what it looks like when the peace of God is guarding your heart. You know how to, to correct wrong relationships. Everybody has relationships that get sideways at one point or another. Amen? Okay. Okay. Everybody has relationships that get sideways. And what it looks like to have the peace of God on your life is you know how to right wrong relationships. You know how to seek forgiveness. You know how to give forgiveness. You know how to take steps of reconciliation. And I'm not saying that uh, someone that you've gotten crosswise with needs to get all the way back to a point where they're your best friend. Okay? We're not saying that uh, everybody's got to be best friends forever with everybody in the room. What we are saying is you've got to know how to love each other you got to know how to care deeply about each other. You've got to know how to be there for one another. You've got to know how to make amends. Get rid of bitterness. And so he mentions a couple of ladies who unquestionably were, were God-loving, Jesus-following, uh, life-serving kinds of people. But they've gotten crosswise with each other. They say, okay, let's get it together, ladies. It, there's not an option. To stay crosswise with each other. Let's get it back together. That's what it looks like. Secondly, he said it looks like rejoicing in all circumstances. Verse 4. Again, I'm not talking about some kind of flippant happiness. I've just got the hardest time right now. I'm not talking about that silliness. I'm talking about something more profound, something more substantive. It's based upon a joy in the sense that God has eternal purposes. He has seen fit as He has redeemed my life to put me in the meta narrative. I'm in the eternal story. I'm a significant character that's playing out some part of what He's up to with this cosmic drama. And whatever the, I trust Him as the author. Whatever the twists and turns of the story is going to take, I'm going to trust him as the author. And if I have to go through some kind of hard scenario, a few hard pages or chapters, I'm going to trust he's going to use that for some high, holy, eternal purpose. And I can have joy in that. I can rejoice in that. I don't have to despise my circumstances. But, Scott, you don't know what a lousy boss I've got. You don't know how hard my marriage is. It doesn't matter. I mean, I care about those circumstances. God cares about those circumstances. But if He's got you in these circumstances and He's looking to guard your heart with His peace, He's doing that in such a way that you will reveal Him. He will be disclosed in how you uh, navigate those waters. And others will be drawn to Him. Which is what the ultimate purpose and mission of our life is about these days. Otherwise, He just take us home. What does it look like being serene with Christ? In the third place, it looks like being free from anxiety. Verse 6. Now, I'm not saying that we get into denial and we're looking at a situation that is very precarious or very uh, dangerous, risky, and we flippantly go, Well, that won't be any big deal. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not talking about that kind of denial mental uh, game playing. I'm talking about we recognize it for what it is. David knew he was fighting a giant who had killed a lot of men and could kill him like that. But David also knew he couldn't control the situation. Daniel couldn't control the situation. You can't control all your situations. You can't control the other people that are around you. You can't even control your own life. You've tried. That's why we surrender to Jesus. And so since we don't have control, then what are we worried about? Because worry assumes you can do something about it. Worry assumes that you can control a situation or circumstance. And I'm not saying we just abdicate and hands off, Well, I don't guess I have to do anything. Jesus will do it all. I'm not talking about that kind of silliness either. I'm saying that when fear begins to assault our heart, we re-engage our heart and mind with God. We go, okay, you're on the throne. I'm not. You know this circumstance. I can't control it. I want to be your man. I want to be your woman in this scenario. Help. I need you. And allow His presence and His peace to dispel our fears. That doesn't mean we don't remain nervous, but we're not paralyzed. We're not cowering. We're not turning and going the wrong direction. We're able to stand with or move forward with God in those circumstances. In the fourth place and final, he said it looks like serenity. It looks like the peace of God in your life when you have a focused life on the things of God. And so Paul says, the peace of God's guarding your heart. So focus on whatever's true. What's true? I've got some circumstances right now that make me feel like a loser. That make me feel like an idiot. That are demotivating and paralyzing and makes me want to quit. But the truth is, I'm a beloved Son of God. I may have made a bad bad choice. I may have stumbled and fallen in some kind of way. But He doesn't look at me and go, Idiot. Never. He looks at me and says, Son, come. Get up. Let's go. That's the truth. And so Paul says... Focus on whatever's true. What's true about who you are? What's true about your marriage? What's true about your children? What's true about the work environment in which you are? What's true about this church? What's true about our mission? Focus on what is true. He says, focus on what is noble or honorable. You're looking at the verse, verse 8. See, when I focus on nobility, when I focus on honor, then I can't objectify people. God doesn't bring people into my life so that I can use them to accomplish my purposes or to fulfill my lusts and fantasies or, or whatever. And so when I when I focus on nobility, that's a man God loves, that's a woman God loves, that's a, a son or a daughter, then it changes my whole heart and my whole experience and focus on whatever's right and just. I could go on and on, but you get the point. And then he says, now you've seen these things happen with me. You've learned these things. So do what you know and what you've learned. Verse 9. Now, why would he say such a proactive exhortation? Do it. Why would he say that? Because. Because. That's how the peace of God stays on your life. Now, let me uh, illustrate it this way. How many of you know who Bear Grylls is? You ever see the show, Man vs. Wild? The rest of you won't own up to it. But yes, okay. The, the, The guys are going, yeah, I've seen it. So, Bear is one of these adventure guys, right? And he typically gets dropped out of a plane in the middle of the desert. Or in the Antarctic. Or, you know, whatever. And he's on the backside of nowhere and the whole premise of the show is for him to show you if if such a thing ever happened to you like I'm going to jump out of a plane if such a thing ever happened to you this is how you would survive in this kind of terrain with these kinds of circumstances and he gets out there and you know he does all this weird stuff like captures a rattlesnake and cooks it and eats it and he grabs lizards and pulls the head off and eats them you know he showed you how to get protein And survive and get water and all these kind of things so a recent episode bear was out in the desert and of course getting water was going to be crucial to his survival and so he begins to he gets up to a high place and he looks out and is there green anywhere in the distance he sees some green way off there and he heads in that kind of direction and he finds this little oasis right and when he finds the oasis, he immediately, and, there, and there's this uh, waterfall that is cascading into this little oasis. He immediately goes over to the waterfall and just plunges in the pool at the, at the bottom of it. And after days of no fluids and no water, he just allows his body to soak water. You know, I was refreshed watching him after all the <laughs> dirty time in the desert that he had had. And here's the point. God loves you. God wants to bless you. God is pouring out blessing on you all the time like a waterfall. The question is, are you under the waterfall? A bear had been out in the desert needed water desperately, he could have come up to the oasis and go, wow, what a waterfall. Some people are probably really blessed to be able to be in that waterfall and just stay there and stay dry and thirsty and perish. And then show's over and, you know, no more bear. But when Paul says, here's what it looks like to have a serene life, and it's reconciling relationships and it's rejoicing in hard circumstances and it's choosing not to be anxious and it's focusing on things that are true and right and noble and just and, and so on and, and, and then he says so you, you've seen me do these things you've heard me teach these things you know these things do it he's saying get under the waterfall you don't you, bear didn't have anything to do with the waterfall being there he wasn't making the water cascade. He couldn't do anything to earn the right to get under the waterfall. He just saw it and got under it. And so it is with the blessings of God. You can't manufacture them. Uh, you can't earn them or deserve them. So we're not talking about, you know, get your act together so God will bless you. He's already blessing. Just do what you know to do and get under the waterfall. Get under the blessing. And allow His peace to consume your thoughts and your feelings and to guard you from the lies and the deceptions and the assaults that are around us all the time. So here's the question. Are you under the shower of God's blessings? Are you doing what you know to do? Are you looking to Him and not yourself for the wisdom, for the grace, for the power? Tim Keller is a pastor on the East Coast. And he tells a story about one time when he was working with two different women in his church, both of whom had very similar circumstances. Both had cheating, conniving, unfaithful husbands. Both had teenage sons that were beginning to get into trouble and to act out. Both had kind of um, in proximity but not too close kind of relationship with God. And they were going crazy with the circumstances. And so uh, Keller reflected that at one point in the course of his dealing with this woman and dealing with that woman it occurred to him both of them had very similar circumstances and they both had a a similar thing that was assaulting their thoughts and their feelings and that was bitterness they were so angry at their husbands and they were they were so mad and 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 they were so emotional about the whole thing and, and just had all this mental stuff going on about how unfair everything was He gave them both counsel that was the same, but separate. They didn't even know each other. And he said, you've got to get to a point with God's help that you forgive your husband and you release the bitterness. That's the only way you're going to be able to move through this. With God's help, forgive and release the bitterness. He said, you know, in the weeks that followed, I was stunned. Because one of the women who had the far worse husband... And far less faith, was able to forgive, began to release resentments and bitterness, and was moving forward. But the other woman, who had less of the cad of a husband, and apparently more faith and more attendance in church and activities and so on, she was not making any progress at all. She was still as crazy as she had been weeks prior. And so uh, he was having a meeting with the second woman at one, uh, one occasion, and checking in, you know, how's it going and why is it going this way, etc., And it just blurted out when she said, I'm just so mad that my husband has done these things and our son is going to be screwed up so badly that it's just going to ruin my life. And he said, I'm sorry, what did you say? And she repeated it. And he inquired, so if your son makes a lot of bad choices and screws up his life, that ruins your life? And here's the deal, folks. She had made her son and his success, if you will, in life, she had made that her life. And as long as you make somebody else your life, or if you make your job your life, or if you make your stuff your life, then depending on how those things go, depends on how your life goes. It's called codependency. And there's only one, only one in whom we can place our trust, our hope, our confidence, and that's Jesus. And when we build a life that's based upon Jesus, then we have this sanity, this serenity, this sense of wellness that goes on in our lives. So, are you building your life upon a relationship with Christ? Most important question I've asked you all day. Do you live in His peace with a guarded heart? Let's pray together. So, Father, for the one that has had confusion about Jesus and religions and faiths and denominations and all that kind of stuff. I pray that by Your Spirit You would just cut through all of that confusing stuff and bring it home to the heart. It's just about Jesus. Will we know Him? Will we build a life on Him? And so, Father, for the friend today that feels their heart drawn to Jesus, I pray. Would you come into their life? Would you forgive their sins? Would you save them and reconcile them to yourself? For others of us that have been grappling with a lack of peace, a lack of serenity, I pray that Your Spirit would be mighty around us and grip and guard our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.